Okay, well, we are in John chapter chapter 11 and 12. We're finishing up John chapter 11 this morning. Last week, we looked at uh, Jesus having raised his uh, friend Lazarus from the dead. And uh, what we're looking at today is kind of reflects what happened last week in the passage we were in. But uh, as you're there, let me just um, say this. You know, it's amazing how people can look at the same situation and have polar opposite conclusions about what they're seeing. You know, I can think of uh, the child in the mother's womb. Those who have a biblical worldview, when they hear that a mother is pregnant, they immediately know and realize that that is a life. That is a human life. And uh, God has a plan for that, that, uh, that infant's life. But uh, for those who don't have a biblical worldview, they don't see that as a human. They just see it as uh, a fetus tissue that could be discarded. And so there's different conclusions that people draw based on a pregnancy. What about gender? You know, when it comes to gender, those with a biblical worldview, they know that uh, when a person is born, they're born either male or female. But those who are opposed to a biblical worldview, that have a secular worldview, when it comes to gender, you know, (laughs) there is no gender. Uh, Each person is up to their own ability to figure out for themselves what they want to be. And it's, it's crazy, the world that we live in. But again, when it comes to uh, perceiving things, it all depends on what we value most. Are we going to value what God says, or are we going to value our own personal preference? So I want to begin with um, the reaction of, of the people who watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave in John chapter 11. So let's look at verses 45 and 46 as we begin many of the jews therefore who had come with mary and had seen what jesus did believed him but some of them went to the pharisees and told them what jesus had done so here lazarus has been dead four days jesus does a supernatural thing in raising his friend friend Lazarus from the grave. And the Bible says many believed who Jesus was at that point. But then there's others who saw the very same thing, and they went and they tattled on Jesus. They went to Pharisees. Now, why did they tattle to the Pharisees. Why did they not believe Jesus? I believe it's because their heart is rebellious. 
Their heart is, is hard. Their heart is dead. And God has given them over to their depraved minds. They do not want to believe in Jesus. They refuse to believe. In fact, the, that, that Jesus, they watched Jesus do a supernatural thing, yet they couldn't believe. You know, the Bible talks about this in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. People know the truth. God has made it plain, but they suppress the truth. Verse 20. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And God gives man over to their depravity, those who refuse to acknowledge the truth. And God says, you want it your way? Go for it. And here we are today seeing uh, the fruit of that rebelliousness in our society today. And so that was the reaction of people who witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And so verses 47 and 48 of John 11 says this. So the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So, here the Jews, these Jews have come to the Pharisees, Pharisees and uh, the chief priests, the chief priests uh, and some of the Sanhedrin, uh, some of the uh, um, Sadducees, they put together, they come together in an, uh, a small executive council and they talk amongst themselves, what are we going to do? 
You know, it's an amazing thing about these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. They're like uh, our political system today. Uh, the Democrats and the Republicans. And these Pharisees and Sadducees, you know what? They hated each other. Uh, the Sadducees, they represented the elitist group. Uh, they were the, the priests of the temple. And the Pharisees were the rabbis and oversaw the synagogues in the outlying territory. But uh, here, here we see uh, these Pharisees and Sadducees who hate each other come together and are united over the fact that they despise Jesus. And they want to take Jesus out. And look what they say in verse 47. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. They don't deny the fact that Jesus has all this supernatural ability. They know that Jesus raised the dead. They're not denying that, but it's like a beach ball that you try to put underwater. They're doing everything in their power and ability to suppress the truth. And unfortunately, they want Jesus out. And so here we see in verses 45 through 53, actually verse 49, we're going to look now at Caiaphas. Caiaphas, uh, he's the high priest. Uh, trying to make a decision about Jesus. What should the way we, we do with this man? And this is what Caiaphas says. He prophesies. Okay? He says, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for people, not the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day, they made plans to put him to death. So here's Caiaphas. What should they do about Jesus? And Caiaphas, instead of trying to protect Jesus, believe in Jesus, no, what does Caiaphas value? What is important to Caiaphas? His power, his position, his nation. And so he prophesies, guys, it's better that one person die than we lose the whole nation, than the nation should perish. And so he sees the importance of killing Jesus. Now, why, why in killing Jesus does the nation in his mind spared? Because 
if Jesus is con- allowed to continue to do what he he's doing, everybody's going to believe and everybody's going to want to make him king. And if Rome gets word of this, they're going to come in and they're going to crush the Jews. They're going to crush uh, their nation. And Caiaphas says, that can't happen. And so we've got to sacrifice one man. And the Bible says that God gave Caiaphas those words. God and Caiaphas were on the same page. Eliminating Jesus, in Caiaphas's mind, would save the nation. But in God's mind, yes, Jesus needs to be eliminated, but not to save the nation, but to save people. That's the purpose of Jesus' death. Caiaphas wants to take Jesus out so that Caiaphas's power and influence can be protected so that his nation might be protected. But God knows that Jesus needs to be taken out because that's the only way people can be saved. And so Caiaphas didn't know what he was saying. But God gave him those words because God had a greater plan and purpose. Not to save the nation, not to save Caiaphas' position and power, but to save people. In church, that is the message of the Christian faith. It's the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus for you and I. That's what the gospel is all about. And for you and I to be saved, to come into a relationship with Christ, to know God personally, we must believe that Jesus died for me, that Jesus died for you, that you were a sinner. You deserve to die in that place, to hang from that cross. But because God loved you so much, He sent his son to die in your place. That is the message of the gospel. And what does this message do? What happens? Verse 52. Not only can um, not only can the nation uh, the whole should well. Let me read verses 50. It's better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, verse 52, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God, who were scattered abroad. The sacrifice of Jesus isn't going to just have the ability to save the Jew, but the sacrifice of Jesus is going to have the ability to to save the Gentile. People all around the world. 
Jesus' sacrifice was bringing together one global race, but ethnically diverse as his church. He wants to bring all people groups, all nations, all tongues together as one. It's, it's diverse ethnically, but when it comes to race, church, there's only one race. There's not many races. There's only one race, and it's called the human race. Yes, there's many ethnicities, but one race, and we are one globally, those who call themselves children of God. You know, there is so much talk today about skin color and magnifying differences. Instead of us being one, we want to divide ourselves. There's the villainizing of oppressors and the justifying of the unlawful behavior of the oppressed. That's what's happening. That's the, that's the language, that's the conversation of the church today. And there, there's, there's a desire to dismantle power structures and level the playing field for everyone. That's what the church is proclaiming. And you know what? That is a social gospel. That is not why Jesus came. Jesus came to save people. Jesus did not come to save society. Caiaphas thought in killing Jesus, he'd save his nation, his society. No, God sent his son not to save society, but to save people. People from every ethnicity. Make them one. That's the gospel. But unfortunately, the church today has lost its way. Their message is not the salvation of people. Their message today is the salvation of society. And that is wrong. That is not what the Bible professes, proclaims. And so this is why God wanted his son to die. To save all people who would believe in him. And so verse 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. They put out a death warrant for Jesus. So verses 54 through 50. Seven. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover, Passover to 
purify themselves. They were looking Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will come not that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So following the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus knows that this council has gotten together, there's a death warrant for him, and so he gets away. He goes to Ephraim. Not, not, it's not too far away. We don't know how many days he stayed, but he stayed there with his disciples until just before the Passover. Now let's read verses uh, 1 through 8, and let's look at Mary. Okay, so we've looked at Caiaphas. What did Caiaphas value? He valued his power and his influence. Now let's look at verses 1 through 8. Six days... Six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment and made, made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now this uh, anointing of Jesus, we see this in two other gospel accounts, Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. And if you look at it from Mar- Matthew chapter 26, we know that uh, they're in Simon's house, Simon the leper uh, in Matthew chapter 26 uh, in Bethany. Now, there's an anor- another anointing that takes place in Luke chapter 7. That is not the same account. They're also in Simon's house, but it is um, Simon the Pharisee, not Simon the leper. So here they are in Bethany. It's six days before Passover, and uh, they've prepared a banquet. They've prepared a meal for Jesus. I, you can see this as uh, they're wanting to show their gratitude and appreciation for what Jesus has done in raising Lazarus. And so uh, here they are, and uh, Mary's there, and she is just overwhelmed 
for with all that that Jesus has done for her brother. I mean, her heart is full of emotion, <laughs> full of the Holy Spirit, of gratitude and love, and she takes a a jar, a box of of nard, nard. It's a a perfume, and it is very expensive perfume. In fact, the cost of this perfume is worth a year's, it's a year's worth of wages. So I've read, as I studied this passage, it could be as much as uh, $25,000 to $60,000 in um, today's money. I mean, this is extravagant. And the Bible says she breaks it. This, she breaks this container, and she pours it all out onto Jesus. Why? Why has she done that? What does she see that nobody else is seeing? She sees Jesus for who he really is. He is the resurrection and the life. She knows Jesus. Like we looked at last week. She's been through chapter 11. She's been at the bottom when her brother died and all hope was lost. And four days later, Christ comes. And she watches Jesus raise her brother from the grave. She is overwhelmed. She knows that Jesus is the resurrection and life. And she wants to express her appreciation and gratitude to him. And what she's giving is not as nearly as much worth as she knows Jesus is. Jesus is far more valuable. Church, I just want to encourage us that when we've been impacted by the grace of God personally, when we understand all that Christ has done for us, we know that we don't deserve his love, his forgiveness, his grace in our lives. When he has transformed our hearts, it's nothing in thinking when God says, trust me with that 10% and give it back to me. We give it back to him with gratitude and with joy and with thanksgiving for all, because of all that he has done for us. We know him. Mary can do this. She doesn't feel awkward about it. She's, she's just, she has a heart that is so grateful for all Christ has done for her and her family. She worships. What does Mary value? She values Jesus. Jesus 
is far more valuable than that perfume that cost all that money. And it was worth it to extravagantly pour it out on him. I hope you can see this and understand what Mary sees this morning that others aren't seeing. And she's able to do this because she values Jesus so much more. And then there's Judas. You know, and Judas isn't the only one who thinks this. He, he, others thought this as well, but uh, just, you know, it just uh, blurts it out. And he says this in verses 5 and 6. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas putrefies the atmosphere of this act of worship here. Here, Mary is doing this extravagant, beautiful thing, and then Judas pipes in and says, why wasn't this perfume sold and and the money given to the poor? He tries to deflate the moment. And why does he do this? What What is Judas looking at? What does Judas value? Judas values money. Judas is thinking of himself. He's he's thinking of the the lost opportunity he could have had to have reached into that bag of and taken some of that money for himself. He's not concerned about the poor. He's concerned about himself. And rest assured, Jesus knows his hypocrisy. Jesus sees right through Judas. He wasn't concerned about the poor. Jesus knew that Judas was a thief. And he shuts Judas down in verse 7. He says, leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Judas, you're not going to mess up this moment. She is worshiping me. She is showing her gratitude. And you're not going to blow this moment. She sees She sees who I really am. You don't see me, Judas. You just see the opportunity to enrich yourself. Stop it. This is this is Jesus' rebuke to Judas. And so we see Mary affirmed. He's pleased with her act of worship. And Jesus sees Judas as a thief. Question. How does Jesus see you this morning? 
What do you value? Are you obedient with the tithe? When when you read the words that uh, we are to be a cheerful giver, that we are to give, um, give back to him 10% of all that he's entrusted to us, do you take him seriously? Do you give joyfully? Do you give obediently? Do you give with a heart of bad, bad, uh, a heart of gratitude? Or are you even giving? Look what Malachi says in chapter three, verses eight through ten. Will man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the, robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and there, thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. How does God see you this morning? What do you value? Your worship of Jesus or money? Your possessions. My friends, if you are not giving to the Lord's work, if you are not bringing the tithe into the storehouse, Jesus considers you a thief. You are robbing God. That's the heart of Judas. So Mary has displayed an extravagant act of worship. And then this is what Jesus says in verse 8. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. What Mary had poured out was extremely expensive, extremely costly. And it could have been given to the poor. But Jesus justifies her behavior. Jesus says, I'm only going to be here a little while longer. You are always going to have the poor with you. I like what Arthur Pink says in his commentary about these words. They dispose of an idle dream of socialism. Church, the poor 
is always going to be here. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to ignore the poor. No, God would have us to meet the needs of poor. They should be a priority. For the church today, the church today is out of step with Jesus' words. Words. The church today, their social gospel wants to eradicate poverty and bring equality to everyone. They want to level the playing field. And that it has become the priority of the church. And the message is socialism. That's not the gospel. Again, Jesus didn't come. God didn't sacrifice his son to save society. No, but to save people. Jesus says, my mission is to seek and to save those who are lost. And there is a growing number of pastors today who are more concerned about Christianity reforming society than transforming hearts. That goes for both sides of the political spectrum. There are pastors today who believe that government is the answer to all of men's ills. No. The answer is Jesus. I listened to a podcast uh, entitled Just Thinking. If you're a podcast person, uh, I encourage you to uh, find this podcast. Uh, it's led by two, two men, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker. They are fun to listen to, but they, they speak so much truth. This is what Daryl Harrison says. Jesus did not come to transform society. He came to transform hearts. Jesus is not a socialist. The poor you will always have with you. If you are looking for Jesus to be a socialist, a, a socialist savior, you need to adjust your theology and Christology because that is not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus came to save from our sin, save us from our sin, not to save society. That's what the name of Jesus means. Why is the church acting as if politics is the problem of the world? Is is the problem of the world. The problem of the world is sin. Not who is president, prime minister, or king. When will the church get it through its collective thick skull that saviors aren't elected? The help that the world so desperately needs comes from Calvary and not Capitol Hill. When injustice occurs, and it will continue to occur in this sinful world in which we live, one must look to Christ. 
the righteous one who sovereignly rules and reigns over all of his creation. Not some party or elected official that has no power whatsoever over the attitudes of the human heart. The message of the church is the gospel. Jesus came to save people. The Bible says that we are all sinners, separated from God. And the only way man can be restored, brought back to God, is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about God. And those of us who have a biblical worldview... All that is happening around us, we're able to interpret this. Because the Bible said that these things would happen. Because the fallenness of man, the brokenness of this world. But when it comes to a secular worldview, Jesus isn't the answer. They want to suppress that truth. That beach volleyball, they want to keep it under the water. They think government, man, has the answers to society's ills, brokenness. And it's not the truth. Now let's look at verses 9 through 11. If you hold... Listen, if you hold to that biblical worldview, if you're like Mary and truly see who Jesus really is, verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learn that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away believing in Jesus. So here this banquet was going on, and Lazarus was kind of like a sideshow. Okay, he, he, was, he was a magnet at this moment. This guy had been dead for four days, and he'd come back to life. He's reclining with Jesus. He's associated with Jesus. Not only was there a death warrant out on Jesus, but you know what? They wanted to cancel Lazarus as well. My friend, if you see Jesus for who he really is. There are going to be consequences in your life. Why? Because man hates the light. Man hates the truth. Man wants to live in darkness. You might say, well, I'll, I'll just choose to protect myself. 
I'll play it safe. <laughs> I'm not going to get too radical for Jesus here, here because I don't want to get canceled. Guess what? When it came to Caiaphas, he wanted to have Jesus eliminated so that the Jews, the nation, his power, his influence could be protected. What, 27 years later, A.D. 70, Jerusalem fell. Caiaphas lost it all. The temple was destroyed. The Sadducees' power and influence, gone, obliterated. Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. It was more about money to Judas. What does Jesus, what does Judas do after Jesus, he's betrayed Jesus? He goes out and he hangs himself. My friend, if you try to protect yourself, just understand, you're going to lose. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? What do you value? Let me encourage us to be like Mary, to get to know Jesus. You know, every time we see Mary in Gospels, she's at the feet of Jesus, learning, weeping, worshiping. Let's be like Mary. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this time in your word, for your life, God, your plan for your son, and sending him to save us. If you're watching right now and you're hearing this prayer, why don't you just pray? Jesus right now and say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for helping me to know and see who you really are. And my friend, if you're here this morning and you don't see Jesus in that way, you're robbing God you're holding on to your possessions, your stuff, your, your pride, your power. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it all. Let go and trust Jesus. Give your life to him. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you new life. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him for all eternity. And there is only one way. By humbling yourself. Admitting your sin. 
believing that Christ died for that sin. Ask him to forgive you. Believe that he died for you, that three days later he came back to life. And one day he's going to come back and you're going to be with him for all eternity. That's the gospel. May it be a reality in your life. Thank you, Father, for this time we've shared together. Help us, Lord, to value you above everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I hope you have a great week. If there's anything we can do, please uh, notify the church office or you know how to get in touch with me. Uh, We're here to help you. God bless you. Have a great week.